You ever wondered about all the things that aren't in the parables of Jesus? There is no interplanetary travel. You ever think about that? There are zero references in the Gospels to cell phones. And Jesus never once talked about fast food. Why is that important? Sometimes I think that the references that Jesus used were so close to the everyday lives of people who lived in the first century that sometimes we forget there's as much distance from the first century to cell phones and fast food and microchip processing and the whole nine yards as there is between us and what it was like for a culture where everybody had their hands in the soil. And when Jesus tells parables about very simple things, none of us have probably ever seen a sower sowing seeds or a tax collector sitting at a booth, even though we all know the IRS. And so this reference, already in the Old Testament, and again repeatedly by Jesus, to us as sheep, through the parables he told and the direct teachings that he gave, there's, I just want to ask the question, why sheep? What is it that everybody in the first century would have intuitively known about these animals and their nature because they were around them closer and knew where their food came from that we have a bit of a distance from and just don't really appreciate? So this week, for the first time ever in sermon preparation, I engaged in some ovine research. No, I, do, I do typically do research before a message, but it's normally like exegetical, hermeneutical, not necessarily in the ovine realm. But here's what I learned. Too often we stereotype this because there's Different stories that come up. For example, sometimes I've heard messages that refer to the fact that Jesus chose the reference of sheep because sheep are stupid. But elsewhere in the Bible, God describes us as being created a little lower than the heavenly beings and bearing his image and likeness. So I don't think it's because sheep are dumb. I heard that in a number of sermons, and I may even have referenced a story or two of these along the way. For example, in... 2005, the Axum newspaper in Istanbul, Turkey, famously shared a story about 1,500 sheep who followed each other off of a cliff. And the first one went, and then the next one went, and the next one went. And in fact, 1,500 went, but only 450 died because the sheep in their soft wool piled up so high that the top ones kept falling on the pile, but the fall wasn't far enough for them to die. So they were saved by the sacrificial lambs who went before them. So what is it that everybody would have known about the nature of how sheep can at times follow blindly that Jesus would choose that reference for us? Or in 2016, the Guardian newspaper writing on a story in West Sussex, England, talked about 116 sheep who died instantaneously of fright. They were literally scared to death. Dogs were chasing them. They all got into a pile. They completely freaked out. Their nervous system shut down and they died. Paralyzed by fear. Was there an element of sh sheep in that when Jesus referenced a comparison of us to them? Our own fears? They paralyze us? Maybe it's because sheep are born without claws and fangs, and they don't carry handguns. Sheep really don't have any way to prey upon another animal. 
So what is it that we can pull from all of this to realize that we're going to spend a semester talking about following a shepherd's voice and learning it? What is it that Jesus really was talking about when he compared us to sheep? Here's what I learned this week. In terms of learning, that sheep can actually be incredibly quick learners. They have the capacity to do this. You can teach a sheep a trick two times, and already they can remember it and be able to repeat the act. That is better than my children. Memory. If a sheep were able to go through a test, and research has done this, and find their way through a maze in order to find food, you could wait 22 weeks and bring the sheep back to that same maze, and they'll find their way back through because they remembered the pattern at which they found their prize. You could show sheep pictures, and this has been done, of other sheep, up to 50 different sheep's faces, and two years later, they will be able to recognize all of them again. Apparently, sheep have incredible memory. And then, of course, born without fangs or claws or handguns or any form of weaponry in order to kill a prey, sheep's really only protectionary measure that they have is to group together. I just wonder if Jesus had any thought of referencing that when he founded the church and didn't call one disciple but a whole community of them. And the interdependency that we just sang about within the Trinity actually also reflects our own interdependency on one another, which is incredibly threatened in a world right now where we are all encouraged to faction off into our own little groups where we pick our own groups and news channels and we just listen to the same things we already believe fed back at us. We unfriend and friend people we want to follow and whose voices we already like. And the whole notion of cognitive dissonance as a form of learning is in high jeopardy in our culture today. We just surround ourselves by what's already like us. Rather than embrace the interdependency that God has put within us so that we actually need one another and I need you, and you need me. And even if you came from 7,000 miles away, I need you, and you need me, in order for us to fully be the kingdom of God. Maybe that's even why, G why Jesus talks about later on in John chapter 10, I got sheep and other pens you don't even know about yet, but they're all coming in. And I got plans for all of them. One more truth about sheep. They're deeply communal. If you were to isolate a sheep, they could become highly distressed and anxious because they weren't made to be alone. And in a culture and a world today where we feel increasingly isolated, it's no wonder that we feel increasingly anxious. And perhaps one of the greatest cures for our generalized anxiety as a culture is revisiting back to the way that God talks about us and the simple fact that he made us to need and to want love in one another. I even asked a Dort student to help me out with some sheep research. Ella Zwart came to the rescue. She said, the nature of sheep is that they definitely listen to their owner, their shepherd. For example, our sheep that our, know that our dad is the main shepherd, so they listen to my dad's voice. And when, when they are in the pasture and it's time to feed them, my dad says, here, sheep. 
they hear his voice and come running toward the feed bunk. When us, his daughters, have the responsibility of feeding the sheep, we say, hear sheep, but we do it in a deeper voice so it can sound more like my dad's. And the sheep will then listen to that voice. She goes on. I think that Jesus chose sheep as the analogy for people because at first, when there is a new shepherd or person, it takes time for the sheep to get to know the shepherd. And just like us, we don't know everything about Jesus right away. And it takes time. It takes time to trust. And once we do, we can listen, know, and discern what voice is God's and what isn't. But it takes time. Just like when sheep get a new shepherd. Once enough time is spent with the shepherd, they know which voice is the real and the right voice and which one isn't. Now hear this part of Ella's insight. Once enough time is spent with the shepherd. You guys, we live in a world of infobesity. You are inundated with information coming at you nonstop. And so, no wonder, right, we try to calm this down and we try to find our way through the din that just exists all around us. And perhaps in that environment, it's harder in today's day and age to sit still long enough to actually learn God's voice. So we do know it. So when we're hungry and we need a trusted voice and it calls, we know it. So when we're scared because we're being attacked from whatever side, like a pack of dogs coming at us like sheep are, but the shepherd calls. And the shepherd is good. And he's willing to lay down his life for them. He's trustworthy. As we jump back into the text that we've been looking at in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, I just want to read through that back with you. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. They will run away from him not only because they don't recognize him, but because they haven't learned to trust him yet. If we're going to spend time talking about what it means to hear God's voice, you are never going to want to shut out all the other voices and all the other distraction and focus in on his unless you believe that it is good. Unless you believe that your shepherd is good. And that you trust him more than your own impulses, more than your own strength, more than your own wisdom, more than your own experience. You see, I think this is the number one reason why Jesus compared us to sheep. Because sheep aren't mostly dependent creatures. Sheep are entirely dependent creatures. Let me say that again. Jesus compared us to sheep not because we are mostly dependent creatures, but because we are entirely dependent creatures. We absolutely 
need to be led to the source of food and life. And when someone dies, and in all of our churches, we read back from Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We're talking about a shepherd who knows where to take us when we are the most befuddled and the most confused and the most hurt. And we trust that he will take us to that place because he is good. And notice how often that refrain comes back in this passage again and again. It is a good shepherd. For Pete's sake, I go to a church here in town called Good Shepherd. Not just shepherd. It's good shepherd. Because I don't need one more voice in this world. I need the one who knows me. Who made me who knows everything that I long for and need in life and has provided them for me, who has already proven that not only would he lay down his life for me, he already has. And so it makes me back up and be like, why in the world do I not trust him more? Why do I choose to listen to the lies of the evil one rather than lean into the truth of my Savior? And I think the reality is, if we are actually honest with ourselves, is we all have a little bit of a love affair with the lies that we've been told. We kind of want to believe a lot of them. You will have more fun if you don't follow the things that God tells you lead to the paths of righteousness. We kind of want to believe that. We want to make decisions for ourselves when we're tempted in a moment. Believing that little minimalization lie of Satan. It's, it's not that bad. You see, he's been undermining our trust in our shepherd since the very beginning. It's the foundation of the first lie that Satan ever told. In Genesis chapter 3, and the conversation goes back between Eve and the serpent. And he says, you will not certainly die. You will become like God. Oh, the temptation of power and being risen up and exalted. But here's the weird twisted truth about that line in Genesis 3. We actually already were like God. We were made in his likeness. In his image. That's what it says on the page before that. So notice what Satan is doing. He's trying to tell Adam and Eve, just like he's trying to tell us today that the temptation that he's putting before us on any given day will allow us to feel a little more alive or a little more human. But the truth is, is that every single lie that you have ever absorbed and every sin that you've ever given into in temptation has stolen from you part of your humanity. It hasn't given you more of it. Every lie, every sin steals from us our humanity and our ability to look like and live into the image of God that God created us to be. The next time you're tempted with a sin, come back to this place and to this text and ask, who do I really trust at the end of the day? I've been trusting my impulses for way too long. And there are still places in my life where I really do believe, I really do believe I can do a better job protecting myself than God can. And that lie needs to go. And I would venture a guess that all the places that are the deepest hurt in your life and in mine are all born of a place like that somewhere deep inside of us where there is a lie that we have believed. 
It's been told to us. Even as Sam rightly pointed out, right, that temptation is typically based not on a moral thing, right, but on a relational thing. That's where temptation really is at its core. Do you trust God or don't you? And so Jesus is doing his best, even laying down his life, to prove to you and to me that his plans are the best for us. Because every lie we absorb and every sin we commit is a step further away from who you really are. Which is why, in the context of this passage, come these verses in verses 7 to 10. Therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. They're stealing from you. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Pasture is where you get fed. Pasture is where you grow. Pasture is where you find peace from the enemy. That's where Jesus wants to take you. That's his ambition and his dream for your life. Even in the moments of the deepest temptation that you and I experience. And then comes my favorite verse in the entire Bible. And it comes in the context of this section of Jesus describing his goodness to us. The other guy, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He has a mission statement. But so do I. I have come. That you would have life and have it to the full. See, Satan was already trying to undermine that for Adam and Eve telling them that the Father wasn't telling them the truth in the Garden of Eden. He was holding out on them. He wasn't promising their best life, but Satan could give them something better. And Jesus is echoing here the same sentiment from the heart of the Father. I have come that you would have life and have it in abundance, that you would have it in flourishing, that you would become everything I created you to be because there is no other path to find that than there is through me. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says. That's not a many alternate routes kind of line, is it? I am the way and the truth and the life. And my mission statement says, Jesus, I have come, this is why I'm here, that you would have life and have it in abundance. If I'm ever in a place of doubt in my own life, this is where I come back to Jesus' mission statement. Because he's for me. He's more for me than I'm for me in my moments of temptation. My friends, the thief is not a good shepherd. And he does not have your best intentions at heart. As tempting as that lie will be made to sound. This is why the next lines come. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I'm so good, Jesus says, I want you to know me. And I want to know you. And I want to spend time together. You guys, I think there's an an evolutionary process that happens in our faith as we grow up, as we learn to hear the Father's voice and become more familiar with it, as we learn to trust the Good Shepherd and that he really is for us. We start to lean a little more into this and we realize that the story of Christianity that we've been told is not a collection of ideas and doctrines, 
It's not a bunch of lines to sign off of or boxes that you tick. And you didn't pay a bunch of money to come to this school so you could be a better person than other people. That is not even close to what Christianity is. I remember one time as a student here, hearing a professor in class talk about God like he actually knew him. And it was like, this light went on for me. Oh my gosh, like you can, this God of all these doctrines that I've been taught, you can know him. The God of the entire universe wants to be my friend. He wants to walk with me and he wants me to know his voice so when I'm at the hardest moments of life, I can simply lean on him. Ever called a friend when you were in trouble? Ever called a friend when you had a big decision to make? See, that's what God wants to be able to be and the role he wants to play in our lives. And Jesus is like, trust me, guys. I've proven this to you. I will do it again and again. And so whether it's in the creation story and, the, and Satan tempting them there, or whether it's Jesus telling them, don't listen to these lies, or a couple chapters later, Jesus saying, when I go away, then the Holy Spirit's coming, and he's going to reinforce this stuff in you. And so you'll have my words for all of history collected in Scripture to be taught to you and for you to hear over and over again. But I'm going to make it resonate deep inside your soul, because I'm going to take the God that walked beside you. Oh, you guys, it's going to be so much better, because when he comes, he's going to be in you. And you won't have heard just God speak over you and God speak beside you, but God is going to speak within you. And just like that song, the beautiful dance of the Trinity, right? When the Father is speaking to us, the Son and the Spirit are singing in harmony. And when it's Jesus' turn to be at the front of the stage, the Spirit and the Father are singing perfect harmony, resonating, clapping along. And when the Spirit now speaks and convicts and prompts you, the Father and the Son are celebrating and singing along in perfect harmony. And they work together in all of those things so that you would have life and have it in abundance. Can we ask the band to come back up and lead us in a song of closing? Um, and as they do, I want to I issue you one challenge today as you walk out of here. I want you to think about a place in your life where you either have a fear, an unresolved tension or anxiety, or a temptation that you keep going back to. And I want to challenge you to think about that place and whether or not God has been led in there yet. Whether or not in that space and in those times and in those moments you really believe that your shepherd is good. Because if you do, he has promised that he will lead us out of there to a better place. To the pasture where we'll really be fed. There are so many lies that got to get chased out of my head yet. I'm not claiming to be one step further along on that journey than any one of you. But I know that this is the truth. And every time I walk down that road just a little bit, all three of those voices inside of me resonate. And start to sing in harmony. And I start to experience the blessing of the Lord. And I think that's what God wants for each and every one of us. So will you allow him to lead you into even the hardest places? Where you're embarrassed to go? Where you're afraid to go? Where you don't want to go yet? He's got some incredible work to do inside of you in this season of life. You didn't just come here to learn English, biology, and a career. You came to fall in love again. 
and to learn how to hear lies and cast them out so you can be who Jesus is always advocating for you to be, the object of his affection.